0: welcome back to the metal exchange this is chris here with justin as always um we have a very special episode lined up for you um our last episode we kind of went down uh, memory lane or remedy lane as we said and and uh, with our good friend mike and, and talked about our first experience going to the Prague power usa festival and uh we are pleased to be joined uh joined with or joined by Um, the festival's promoter of 20-plus years, Mr. Glenn Harveston. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, I'm going to uh, pass the baton over to Justin to kind of um, get into the kind of a little bit of the the history of how the festival began before we talk, um, you know, more extensively about uh, the third Prague Power uh, specifically. But uh, Justin, why don't you go ahead?
1: Yeah, I'll echo Chris's sentiments and, and thank you, Glenn, very much for joining us. We we really appreciate it. I guess we'll kind of jump right into the beginning, and I'll and I'll ask you know for a festival that's been in Atlanta for you know almost you know twenty years at this point. What was the inspiration be- behind having the original show at JJ Kelly's in Chicago? Uh, it was free, <laughs> basically. Um...
2: You know, went to Power Mad for a couple years and got to be friends with the bands up there. And one of the bands at Powermad was uh, Ion Vane. Sure. And uh, Chris LoTesto and I got to be pretty good buds. And uh, so he was one of the ones that went out eating and drinking with us one night. And, uh, you know, push came to shove. And I said, I do the fest. And he said, well, I got this bar in Chicago that I'm pretty sure you could do it there for free if you just give him the bar.
1: Hell, I'd never done anything before. So I jumped at it. Yeah. Free is always the uh, is, is always the draw. I, I guess, you know, that that obviously took place in uh, early 2001. And it seems like you quickly decided to have the second show later that same year, albeit in Atlanta. What was the inspiration for the move? Obviously, close to home. But why, why Atlanta? Why center stage? And why also did you have it that same year? Uh, you know, it seems like it was very a lot to put together in, in 2001.
2: Well, let me address the first part. Why I did it again that same year, and it's bottom line, I was a dumbass. Is really what it was. Um, I had no idea what I was doing back then, and I sold that show out in Chicago, and I got a taste of you know the success of it. You know, it's nice getting those kudos online and making a few bucks, and uh, so I thought, well, shit, that's something I could do again. And Atlanta's far enough away from Chicago that it would be just like a show for Atlanta to draw. So uh, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and start snooping around down there. And, and as far as center stage, you know, I had a friend down here, Paul Cashman, and uh, he had a friend, his name was Tim, and they kind of had connections at, uh, it was Earthlink Live at the time, and, and it was one of the few venues in Atlanta that you could technically, an outside promoter could come in and rent. So, I didn't have to strike any kind of ticket deals or promotions and all that. It was a straight rental situation. I, they had no idea who I was. It didn't matter that I sold out a 300 person bar in Chicago. I was still coming in cold in Atlanta. So, uh, it was one of the only ways I could get my foot in the door uh, as a legitimate uh, promoter at the time. So, that's how. I, and the other thing was Atlanta. It was such a pain in the ass up in Chicago running around collecting all the back line uh, you know having no no local support other than the crew that were volunteers at the time it was horrible so i just said if i was
1: going to do this shit again it was going to be a lot closer to home i think that makes complete sense And, and and i guess you know having familiarity with the area obviously uh goes a long way in terms of the whole production aspect kind of the behind the scenes stuff that nobody really is aware of or sees well it was just it was nice to have a a train straight
2: to the hotels and venue. Everything was in walking distance, compared to JJ Kelly's, which you know was almost a forty-five minute drive. And technically wasn't Chicago; it was Lansing. So, the time you hit traffic, it was about forty-five minutes from the airport, and it was in the middle of nowhere uh, with some roach motels around it. You know, that was part of
1: the charm, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, I, I think that obviously everybody and I speak for the fans when I say that we're happy with the with the new home. It is a very, very intimate uh, and nice sized venue as you transitioned into that second edition. And it kind of came together fast, as we had talked about. Were you concerned after the nine eleven attacks that it was going to have a dramatic impact on the festival? Obviously, the country was going oh, through so much at that time.
2: So I freaked the fuck out. I mean, it was only like a month or so, two months before the actual fest at the time. So, uh, you know, you're struggling in Atlanta. I mean, I'd already sold more tickets than I'd sold in Chicago, but that didn't mean anything when you got a much bigger venue. You got to remember back then there was no social media. Uh, there was we were on Usenet. That was where we were, you know at the time chatting IRC, all that stuff. Um, and, and I'm just a local boy trying to figure this stuff out, you know. I don't have the money to run radio ads and everything out. I'm down at like the Megadish show walking the lines outside <laughs> handing out flyers myself, a party of one promoting. That's, you know, it, I was the grassroots effort back then. Sounds like something on the Sunset Strip back in like That's, 1988 kind of stuff. Uh, but then 9/11 hit, you know, and uh, the biggest you know, I had Bondinplus booked for that show, and they uh, they canceled out on me, and ticket sales just nosedived. I mean, it it became a local show because nobody would get on a plane after that to come down, and so
1: uh, it was rough. It was, it was rough. I mean, I, I, my, one of my biggest regrets is not going to see Arc and Balance of Power at that at that second edition when the lineup came out for for prog power three though it was it was just like a perfect confluence confluence of events for me to get down there had you decided at the second one that you were going to give it one more shot or how did the genesis of the third edition come about
2: yeah I, I was in big ass debt after the second one i lost a lot of money and
1: the goal was to uh
2: make a few dollars get back to even or as close as i could and then quit um that was it so um uh, and then I, I kind of switched up a little bit of how I did things. As you can see, the first two were, um, you know, it was Prague and Power, but the more emphasis was on the Prague at the time because uh, in the Internet communities, as they were, real small back then, Prague was our emphasis. Now, everybody liked Power, but it just wasn't our community. Uh, so I, with the first show, it was more geared towards the online, and that's where I drew. I drew the people from everywhere I wanted to see the bands but it was basically it was everybody I'd known online forever but when you moved down to Atlanta I thought I could do the same thing and just draw more people and that failed um, I mean I had a—I sold about 55% of tickets so I can't say failed too much but you know I had set the budget kind of high just because you had to do that kind of thing to draw people in when trying to prove yourself so I had actually spoken to Guardian and a couple back then, all the managers knew each other over in Germany. I mean, Ed Guy and Gamma Ray were on the same roster and things like that. So I kind of had to prove myself at Prague Power 2 and I shot video and sent it and all that stuff. And so and it just the timing was right. Guardian and everybody wanted to come over, do some shows, and I was their foot in into the States, so to speak. So
1: I, you know, I ran it more towards the power side this time. And it worked because I. And and I was going to ask you, and I think this is like really one of the key questions for us. How does the roster actually come together? Because when you look back, obviously it's, you know, who's who in in the genres at this time. Was it one band that was like the first domino to fall? Yes. Or was it. Uh, Absolutely was. Blind Guardian was the
2: the main one because once I signed Blind Guardian first, then I could go to Gamma Rays Manager and say, hey, I I got Blind Guardian. And they're like, oh, you do? I'm like, yeah, so why don't you come on board? And then once they're on board Ed Guy, hey, Ed Guy, I've got Blind Guardian and Gamma Ray. You know, let's make something special in the States. First show, all the big boys. Yep. So, and then they just kind of followed uh, followed pace as far as the power guys. Now, the prog bands, you know, they, it was still the same thing. It was just whoever I wanted to pick and choose. Back then, who was popular, who'd I like, who was cheap.
0: Were there any bands that you had really wanted to get that you were not able to or was this pretty much the lineup that you that you wanted.
2: On oh, Park Power Three specifically? Right. Yeah, I went after Opeth back in the day, uh before they blew up. And um their manager was very interested and then uh I don't remember exactly what their excuse was, but they pulled out before I even went public
1: with it. So Opeth is who I missed out. Were there any other um, bands that he had either committed or that you were talking to and that because of just scheduling, you knew that you kind of had them in your back pocket for four or five or for future editions? Nightwish.
2: Um, You know, they were, I'd kind of, I didn't actually go after them for three. I just kind of asked questions and who the manager was and all that good stuff. And so, you know, once you start bringing in the big names and proving yourself, then you can take the next step up. And Nightwish at the time back then was blowing up, one of the biggest bands in the world with target. So that was it. After that, it was just every year, just figuring it out as I went.
0: How were the uh, the ticket sales once the the roster was announced? Because I mean, I remember you know we once we found out what the full roster was, we all spoke to each other and we were like, yeah, hell yeah, we're going to this. So I would imagine that the tickets sold pretty quickly and my recollection is that the the festival was sold out that year it sold out in two weeks wow okay
2: yeah so uh that um, kind of changed my whole perspective on things <laughs> it took a lot <laughs> of stress off of me because i knew i was going to make all the money back that i had lost and then it kind of led into uh hey you know you got something going here you could uh, keep going if you wanted to
0: did you know at that point that you would do a, a fourth one, or, or was were you yeah. going to wait until the festival actually took place and see how everything went before because you I got made that, that call? The idea was
2: to do three and quit,
0: make my money mm-hmm. back. But uh, So, you know, I sat down
2: afterwards and um, reevaluated some things and uh, was able to – thought, what the hell, let's keep going. I had the bug.
1: With blind It was Psych- certainly a
0: uh, – yeah, it was certainly a, a, a successful – you know, I mean, especially for us, we were, you know, young, we were still not even able to legally get a drink at the bar. And but we knew we we knew we had to be there. Like so. And I'm sure that that was the feeling for a lot of people that may have, you know, I, I'm not even sure if I was even aware of the first two festivals. Um, so but I mean, this one, I remember there being a buzz about it even before the roster was announced that something big was was coming down the pike and it certainly uh, delivered. So um, yeah, go ahead, Justin.
1: Oh, I was going to say with Blind Guardian kind of being the linchpin. I mean, some of the bands speak for themselves just because of the name value and you know your Ed Guys and your Angers. I'm specifically curious about Devin Townsend though because he was kind of your first oddball before it was. The in thing to call it an oddball. I mean, you know, he's. He, he, were you a big strapping young lad fan, or what was it that kind of drew you to Devin because he was certainly an outlier? Ocean Machine. Total. There you go.
2: That, I mean, you heard that album, and it was like, where can I see this live? And then I look it up, research it. Oh, he's never played it before. He's never played out before. Well, if he's never played out before, maybe it'd be pretty cheap. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> well that was like i said that was definitely a trip i i had um just become a fan of his and i was i wasn't looking forward to him as much as some of the other artists but i was the curiosity was there just because i i knew the history and stuff and uh he delivered in in, in the way that only he can although i he even he, it's funny because he's got a podcast and he still kind of shits on that particular thing because he was saying like we were, like, ill-prepared for, for the festival because, you know, we had never played. And obviously, it's a well-oiled machine now, but it was some growing pains back in 2002.
2: Well, I think everybody looks back with nostalgia. And Devin's personality on stage, you know, that was the first time we got to see his nipples and him sing Brian Adams.
1: And so he covered up a lot of technical fuck-ups on his part. Uh, 100% about that. And so, I guess uh, let me ask it this way: When, when, when the roster is finally put together, and you have you have your ten bands, were you confident that it was going to be a, a success, or did you, you did you still have those nerves based on, on on the travel and everything else? I was nervous
2: just based on how Prog Power Two went. Sure, I thought if I did this again, then I mean, it, I had to make my money back that I had lost back in two. I mean, it was a significant amount. And so yeah, I was nervous.
1: Would you would you um can you talk a little bit I guess about like how the venue has obviously changed over the years we because one of our memories that we t- always talk about is kind of walking through the the hallways uh, just outside the venue and just being packed with all the vendors that were selling CDs which obviously going back 20 years you're talking about like Everyone's online to buy CDs, and that's obviously changed a lot over the years. And you kind of started using more of this nice venue that you have.
2: Well, number one, I didn't know what the hell I was doing down there the first few years at all. I just kind of made it up as I went. So, you got to remember when we had Proc Power 2, you know, I didn't have any money. So, all the, like you said, the hallways were used, but with only about 55% capacity, it never got that crowded. Mm. So, Mm. So, um, you guys got to understand, I rent the venue of Center Stage. That does not include vinyls, which is the other room. That costs money, more money. Well, guess what I didn't have? That's right. I didn't have more money. for Right, that. right, right. So you were going right back in the hallways without any, honestly, any care how crowded it was because I didn't have any other options at the time. Um, and then once the venue saw how, incredibly packed it was and what was going on and what I was doing and how unique the merchandise situation was. Then they sat down with me and we worked out a contract for future years to move it into vinyl and alleviate some of the problems.
0: We uh, we kind of had this um, memory that we spoke of in the previous episode about um, this. We, w- we weren't exactly sure what it was going on in the downstairs of the art more, but we kind of just walked in on this i don't know if it was like a, a press junket or, or something was going on i remember uh, members of gamma Ray and angra specifically were sitting at tables um and we just kind of wandered in on it and i don't know that we were really supposed to be there but i was curious like what was going on down there
2: um, it had nothing to do with me um if i recall correctly mark groman who uh ran the brave words and bloody knuckles festival up in cleveland Around that same time, and he was a big writer for them, and uh, he was very supportive back then. He still is to this day. It's just unfortunately, you know, that magazine is no longer in print like it used to be, as far as a big selling thing. But uh, he offered his assistance, and he wanted to know if uh, you know, press some kind of uh, press conference like they do at the European festivals, uh, if I wanted to have some of that for publicity. And since it was all the band's first time, I was like, "You can do whatever the hell you want." I run with it. I didn't even go to it. You know, I was busy trying to figure out stuff down at center stage. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't even know what happened down there. So I'm glad you guys got in and had a good time anyway.
1: I was going to say, maybe that's how we got in because you weren't there and we just kind of <laughs> pretended like we owned the place, which was exactly what we did. Um, at the time before, you know, you, when you're a couple of months out, I guess at this point, it's the, it's the summertime were visas as difficult to come by 20 years ago? Because you would think on the heels of 9-11, it would be very hard to get these bands into the country for the first time without that, you know, background to kind of lean on to say, you know, that these are touring bands that are coming here for the first time. It, it actually wasn't um, that next year because you apply for
2: them so far in advance. You know, the government takes forever to do anything, and that includes changing the visa process. So it wasn't for almost a couple of years that, when things changed uh, and it started getting really more difficult to get things in. Um, but back then, visas weren't, you know, they weren't that big a deal to get. Honestly, they weren't. You could just pay, basically, you wrote a check and here comes the visas. And then at some, I don't remember what year it was. It was the year that Matos got canned. That was when shit went South for us. And as a uh, DIY, type of festival, you know, we don't get the latest and greatest updates that some of the immigration lawyers do. So we just had to roll with the punches. But yeah, year, it,
1: it was, it was a, that, that was a shock to all of us. And, and, and just because um obviously Matos is, uh, was on the bucket list for, you know, I can speak for you know, I, just I, about I, everyone, yourself included, I'm sure. Yeah, um,
2: My biggest regret was that year when I lost like five bands due to visas because we continued to do the visas how we had normally done it every year until then. I mean, we didn't change nothing. And then all of a sudden, bam, no, you didn't do your visas right. Well, we didn't know we would, when did you change this. Well, you, you can't ask them questions. They just reject it and send you a letter. And then right. you a letter that's like 15, 20 pages long about shit that you need to include. And your jaw drops trying to just read through this stuff. That's why lawyers do it. But back then, you know, we couldn't afford to expedite after it gets nailed. So, you know, so it was out with the old. But uh, back to Prague Power 3. Visas were not a big deal then. I didn't even think twice about them. I just wrote checks.
0: Ironically, uh, that year, I think it was Prague Power 10 was the year I decided to start attending the fest again after not going since Prague Power 3. So if you want to blame me for all of your visa issues since then <laughs> and nothing
1: has changed in the last 12 years so i
2: guess it's really is you you do suck for missing all those years
0: i i i remember seeing that lineup and thinking to myself like oh man um you know matos and power quest which was one of my favorite bands and you know royal hunt and uh, Fate's warning. I was like, "All right, I think this is it. Um, this is the year I'm going to come back." And I, I ended up going anyway, and I had so much fun. That I remember saying to Justin, "I will never miss Prague Power again," and I haven't. So um, that was. It's kind of funny that we brought that up, but um, yeah. Getting back to uh, to you know the third uh, the third Prague Power um, as the as the the festival's promoter, uh, we know nowadays you know it's hard for you to really be able to get to really you know sit down and watch the the performances um at least at Prog Power 3 how much did you actually get to see uh, honestly uh, quite a bit
2: um at least of the the upper half of the roster i mean uh, so I, I basically i turned my phone off you know i had to deal with a lot of shit when i turned it back on people weren't happy but i turned it off so i could watch guardian so i could watch Ed edgark Gamera. did you
1: have a favorite set that year oh ed guy i, I figured that but i had to i had to ask just yeah. to get it on the record yeah the the fuck fuck fuck
2: saw part with tobias and uh you know he was such a great guy they were all fun backs they were just as fun backstage as they were on stage that year they were so incredibly happy to be there uh, so yeah ed guy
1: destroyed everybody that year I don't disagree with that at all I'll just say that you know it's it's funny because when you look back these are all us debuts and if you look at the entire top half of that roster everyone would wind up doing headlining tours in the years that followed and I think that that was really a testament to the strength of the roster I mean literally the top five bands would all do and in certain cases multiple headlining tours of the of the states well, just,
2: just at the right time I guess um,
0: yeah it was really like a that lineup was like a perfect storm. Um, it was. I mean, even on the the Prague end, even though it, there was a lot of power metal heavy hitters, I mean, to have you know Threshold and Devin and, and Pain of Salvation, I mean, it wasn't like the Prague side wasn't uh, well represented either. No,
2: it was just all the star power on the the power side. Really, you couldn't
1: help but notice that. So,
2: but I just did what I had to do, and it worked out.
1: So at, 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 at once you reevaluate, I guess it was sometime, like you said, after the fest that you said, you know what, we're going to come back for a, a round four.
2: Mm-hmm. Took, I don't know, a couple of months, I guess, of sitting down. I can't remember exactly how long, but I know it wasn't like right after the festival. I had to sit down and figure things out.
1: And, and I guess I'll, you know, I'll kind of put putting a bow on things. What, what are some of the biggest changes that have happened other than, of course, the visas, going back? Because, like you said, this was, or I'll say it, this was kind of a, uh, really like a landmark festival for, for, for a lot of these bands and just the genres in general. What is What have you seen as the biggest changes since Prog Power 3? Uh, I don't have to
2: chase bands. They are more than happy to hear from me when I contact them with interest. I don't have to bullshit with the managers. I don't have to listen to pompous ass agents from europe um so that's the big nice thing you you my reputation was established and people were excited to come to the states because you know like you said this was before everybody was touring and we were the you know the, the doorway to touring over here so that was the biggest thing and then we obviously we've bumped up the number of bands and bumped up the number of nights and pretty much just maxed out what we can do
0: there comfortably. Um, I was thinking of doing something a little different, a little, I thought this might be kind of fun. Um, instead of doing like a word association, um, I'll give you uh, one of the, you know, one of the 10 bands and you give us just a, a quick memory or anecdote or just um Just something that you think of when you hear that band's name uh, from from Prog Power 3. How does that sound? Whatever you want to do. All right, cool. Um, We'll start with uh, the two uh, U.S. bands, uh, Zero Hour and Reading Zero. Uh,
2: Reading Zero was my stage manager. So he got his foot in the door very easily that way. And I'm very thankful because I could not have started this festival without Chris Roy and Joel and the rest of the guys in Reading Zero. They were all volunteers for the first couple years. Uh, So, back then, the opening slots were more about giving the unknowns a shot. Uh, Zero Hour had performed at Proc Power 1. You know, they uh, deserved it based on the Towers of Avarice and all that good stuff. And You gotta remember, I have to work within my budget. So, both of those fit the budget. Uh, Silent Force. It was all about D.C., uh, I would actually asked him about Royal Hunt, but back then, uh, that was, I believe that was about the time that he was not on good uh, terms with uh, the keyboardist. So uh, uh, he pushed, uh, and he had just really started uh, pushing silent force, and uh, that's what he wanted. So I thought, well,
1: what the hell. Fortunately, we got to make good on that a number of years later, both obviously Royal Hunt coming over the first time and then again with DC. So I, I think everything was made whole with that. Everything comes around eventually. Uh,
2: threshold, Mac, Mac was a <laughs> character. Um, he had that big old voice. He was funny, and he had that big old head to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> were, we were upstairs with the, at the bar. We have a you know VIP and band bar only upstairs, and uh, he's in there and. Um, you know, one of the guests would come up to him and said, uh, "I thought you were an incredible singer." And he replied, "I know." And that would be it. Then <laughs> he walked off. That was the whole oh, conversation. That's I Honestly, mean, he they... had a dry
1: sense of humor, but he was—he was something else. They've had a run of uh, characters <laughs> fr- fronting that band. I don't need to get into the whole Damien Wilson uh, drama from when they played, but it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, for for a band that's had such a phenomenal career it's it's amazing that they've had so many uh you know so many good singers and 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 glenn who obviously was on stage just a couple of years ago was no exception he was just a phenomenal phenomenal frontman yeah all great guys too uh
0: let's go to uh uh, i guess i mean we we mentioned Devin. do you have anything else you want to mention about Devin townsend
2: no i think that was it you know I, i didn't expect what he was on stage he was he was a comedian more than he was a singer back then and it, it worked out beautifully. You know, I, I had no idea he was going to open up with Brian
0: Adams. You know, definitely
2: I mean, a perform, definitely
1: a, a a performer for 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 yeah. sure.
0: Um, I guess the next band I, I was going to mention is Ed Guy, which we talked uh, uh, quite a bit about. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they I also agree that was for all the things I was looking forward to, and Ed Guy was definitely one of them. That ended up being my favorite set as well. I just thought the way that. Tobias got the entire building just on their feet and it was it was something else. So, uh, yeah, if you have any any other thoughts about Ed Guy?
2: No, it was just easy to bring them back as a headliner a couple of years later. They jumped at it.
0: Uh, how about uh, Gamma Ray?
2: I closed the curtain on Kai Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, Yeah. Saturday night was something else. Uh, they were running really far over. I mean, they blew past their set. And most of the time in Europe, they just pull the power on you. But I was like, okay, this is Gamma Ray. This is their debut. You know, and I, my stage manager at the time had signaled their stage manager, you know, hey, that's it. You're done after this song. And somehow Kai took that to, as keep going so, and uh, there was a lot of heat going on backstage. You know, Anger was uh, not exactly pleased about it at the time. Uh, I was catching a lot of shit. And so, at, and, and it, the gamma ray kept going. So, uh <laughs> you know, finally I was like, this is the last song, you know, and it was uh, the play I Want Out, his iconic song. And uh, as the chorus is going on at the end, I'm like, shut it. We got to go. And I, So I'm closing the curtain while he's singing I Want Out. And I'm like, well, you're out. <laughs> so I went upstairs, I was pissed after that set. And their manager came up and explained everything to me, and Kai came up and apologized. And, and you know, that was it. We drank beers and laugh about it now. But back then it was quite the tense moment.
0: Wouldn't be the uh the last time you'd have to close a curtain on a band either. Well, I've had to do it a couple of
2: times. Usually not so much now though because they know I'll do it. I'm not bluffing.
0: Uh, Pretty maids comes to mind, but we'll carry on. Um, <laughs> uh, how about uh, "Pain of Salvation"? Uh, the set
2: list was phenomenal. It, it was just sucked that there went on at the end. I, I mean, uh, I hated that for them, and it wasn't by choice.
1: You know, but- having to follow. Blind Guardian's US debut is not an enviable position for anyone. No, Guardian had that choice. Guardians oh yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. It's just interesting that, like, you know, Pain of Salvation has to, has to, you know, follow one of the, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, power metal band of all time, depending on who you ask. And, and it was just an unenviable position. And unfortunately, listen, they put on a phenomenal set, but it was. Well, you it know,
2: it sucks. Hell, half the crowd left with Guardian. Yeah. And yeah. that's because snobby ass Power Metal fans. <laughs> <laughs> <Or did laughs> you know, it wasn't exactly like Pain of Salvation, was Dream Theater and had crossover appeal. They were a true no. eclectic prog back then, and Daniel was quite outspoken on various issues, so he hadn't made too many friends. Uh, so, you know, shit happens. If
0: we move on. I don't remember if if we had mentioned it in the previous episode, but um for those who don't know uh, i th- it, my my memory serves uh blind guardian had an early flight the next day, so they asked to be uh bumped down one slot and switch places with pain of salvation. that's why pain of salvation closed out correct. the first night is that's correct correct okay um And I guess, uh, so yeah, I guess we'll just go right into Blind Guardian then, since we're talking about Uh, them. Um, Intimidation, fanboy, and jet lag.
2: (laughs) Because I was intimidated as hell by them, because they were the biggest band back then, and I was also a tremendous fanboy. And Hansi turned out to be the, God, he's the greatest guy on the planet, even to this day. You know, I still sit down and talk with him, and he's still gracious about everything. So I love Hansi. Um, But their performance sucked. Uh, I mean, everybody was jazzed because it was their actual first show, and so that's why everybody was excited. But if you look back on the video, and I have the videos uh, in my private, you know, they were jet-lagged to hell. There was no energy on stage. I mean, they sang the songs and
1: left. It was like Sonata Artica before Sonata Artica. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I've seen them live probably at this point almost a half dozen times. And I have to say that every time I've seen them when they're on tour, it's like mind-blowingly good. And that set, for for the reasons you just stated, was just kind of flat. And it was kind of ironic because as much as I like the band, it was really the adrenaline of seeing them for the first time that carried you through the set because every other performance was stellar compared to that one.
2: Yeah, Hansi admitted afterwards that they were totally drained. Um, they had came in like the day before, and I just I don't even know how. But it, like I said, they were flat. They knew it, but they were still happy to be here, and I'm still happy to have them. And then they came back the next time and killed it.
0: Yeah, that was going to be actually the next thing I said was, "Did you feel?" Uh, I don't know if vindicated would be the right word, but I mean, when they did come back and and did imaginations, I mean that was. I, I, that was one of my personal favorite sets that I've seen at Prague Power in in the you know ten plus festivals that I've been to. So um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because they really did there kill a it on, on there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite a bit of time had passed between their first and second Prague Power yeah. appearances. Um,
2: <laughs> not easy. So I guess, well, I'm sorry, it's not easy to bring a band like that back,
0: right? Um, we were, I mean, we were so, so excited to hear that they were coming back. So, um, that was awesome. That was, that was a hell of a night. I just remember the, uh, the crowd was just like, really, uh, they were like people moshing. Um, it, it was like, they were really into it. I mean, that was, I was kind of standing up right around where, some, I guess whoever was filming it, and I was kind of watching it from there, like from like a safe distance, and and the crowd was just so so amped and jazzed up about it, like that was that was a blast. So um, anyway, getting back to uh, to the the topic at hand, uh, one band left, and that would be uh, Angra. Um,
2: there was quite the language barrier back then. Um, they were nice guys; they did speak broken English, um, so. They spoke, uh, not that it was the technical issues, but just personality-wise. You know, they come from a different culture. Um, so it was kind of a unique as far as um, how we got along and their expectations. And uh, obviously the Gamma Ray incident didn't help foster relations that night with them. Um, my crew could tell you some stories that I want not <laughs> uh, about my time with them. But I will say this now they're like probably one of my closest bunch of friends in terms of a band when they come back uh, we're fine we hug i mean it it really is a total different situation now compared to back then nerves you know they didn't know what to expect they thought i was going to pull the power on them (laughs) when i went over when they went past their time limit they had this full 90 minute set planned out and they thought they were only going to get to play you know 60 minutes and uh because that's the way they do it everywhere else. You know, your time's done, you're over with. And I was like, no, I rented this place. You can play as long as you damn well want. So they were okay after that.
0: Did any of the bands, um, after everything was over, kind of give you an indication of how they felt about their first time performing in front of, uh, like, American fans? Were they surprised? Were they um, – and also – I guess kind of a, a, a connected, but separate question. Um, did, did the, were the bands kind of surprised at at kind of the, um, the, the way that the, the, like the fans interacted with them outside of the, outside of the venue. Um, cause I mean, there were times we ran into people at the art and, out eating and, and everybody that we ran into was just super nice and, and very gracious. And I was curious if they had said anything to you about, um, you know, how it felt playing in the States and, and you know, the American fans and, 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 you know, just things in, in that area. What
2: you what you just described was what helped me make my reputation because they had not experienced that anywhere else in the world. If they would have tried something like that down in South America, they would have just been overran. Uh, And, you know, in Europe would probably be in places would have been the same. They just had never had the opportunity to interact in a laid back setting that was intimate, but it was ran in a professional manner. And and I did get quite several compliments that people were coming over and that they were actually scared before they even got to Atlanta because they knew all the um, horror stories from U.S. touring back in the day. You know, I think, uh, you know, I hate to say this, and, and you know, but uh, John Schaefer actually helped me out quite a bit in terms of calming everybody down and letting everybody know that I was a professional and I kept my word. And he was actually on site, and, um, you know, he really helped me, and, and it's unfortunate, that you know, the incidents that I can't. People just look at him like he's a total asshole now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of what he did either, but back then he actually helped me.
1: Yeah, I remember, and I won't go into too much detail here, but I remember meeting him at that fest, and I was um, impressed by the interaction back in 2002, and I'll just leave it there. Um, it was a different world back then. It was a a very different world. And I'll say it, and maybe it's a testament to, to all the things that you brought up, not only obviously your reputation, but I think that what we would be hearing from bands at, Prague Power 4 and, and the years beyond is that they st- there was a buzz in Europe about this festival after Prague Power 3. And I think that that may be the biggest compliment we can give the fest is that there was literally a groundswell of bands, um, bands like Thunderstone come to mind that would later play the festival that when they came, they said, we knew about this festival because of Prague Power 3 and, and just the professional manner in which the whole thing was run.
2: So well, I appreciate that. Yeah, the bands that come told me that uh, really the way it is is it, playing Prog Power USA is basically a rite of passage now for bands overseas. It's not the biggest place, and it's not going to get you the publicity and notoriety like it did in the early days. But it is a it's a rite of passage because we've been around for so long. Um, you know, they grew up hearing stories about it and seeing the rosters and i put some i gotta say we've had some great rosters with special events over the years and uh you know so the magic just kind of transferred over there and then uh, we've been able to keep it going for all these years and
1: see if we got a couple more in us well we definitely appreciate the time and kind of taking this trip down memory lane with us uh is there anything that you want to just kind of either say or plug before uh before we let you go
2: Um, You know, fingers crossed, you know, we're in um, June of next year. Um, I'm not sold out. We still have some tickets left from all the refunds that we had to do over the first couple of years, I guess, so to speak. So um, pay attention to social media and the website around January, February for news. Uh, Until then, we're in the same waiting pattern as everybody else to see what's going to happen.
1: Well, we look forward to uh, seeing it in whatever uh, incarnation <laughs> June brings, and we obviously wish you the best of luck. Because I'm sure uh, I'm sure that uh, this has been a headache on you just as much as it's been on everyone else. And when it comes to promoting this, I I simply can't I, I can't express the uh, the the ajira that you must be going through every single day when you open up a newspaper. Yeah, I quit
2: opening them. <laughs> yeah, did. there
1: you go. That, it's, pro- it's, it's probably better that way. Uh thank you so much for joining us, Glenn we'll, we'll thank chat you.
2: Really appreciate
1: it. Be well.
2: Thanks.